privilege to have you with us today. Whether you're in this space or joining us online, we're excited to have you and to be able to worship with each of you today. Um, we're going to be in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, as we've been working through that. As you're turning there, um, I just wanted to ask for your prayers. Uh, this coming Friday, my daughter and I, uh, Addison and some others from our campus, will be leaving to head to Nepal uh, to go and um, on a trip, missions trip, working with uh, our organization that Woodside supports, one of our partners, um, Our Daughters International, that helps uh, rescue and redeem uh, young girls that have been trafficked across the border of Nepal into India. And uh, we're going to be doing a bunch of different stuff. So I just ask that you would just pray for us, traveling mercies, but also that God would utilize us and that God would actually change our lives. And on top of that, that God would uh, cover us uh, with uh, uh, just a spiritual blessing as we go. Um, a lot of uh, dark things that we'll be encountering and that uh, our hearts and our young daughter's hearts would be uh, open to all that Jesus has for us in the future. I'll say as well, man, in the coming weeks and months, you'll hear more about more trips of uh, specifically here at Lake Orion, some that your family can get involved in. Again, we would love for you to be a part of these things. This is where people's lives are radically changed. When they see what God is doing, the brokenness of the world around the world, and then what God is doing in unbelievable ways around the world. And so can't encourage you enough in the coming weeks and months as you hear about those things to dive in, jump in, and get involved. So John chapter 6 um, Man, when I was a kid, I didn't like authority. Anybody else? Yeah, if you're a kid right now, you can't say amen or raise your hand or anything. Your parents are here. Um, I didn't like authority much, really on any level. You could go to any level. I wasn't a big fan of authority, whether it was my dad telling me how to do the chores a certain way on the farm and me not wanting to do them, whether it was my youth leader telling me at camp that, um, I had to go to bed at a certain time. Isn't funny how God works? Then I became that youth leader being like, for the love of everything, good and holy, just sleep, please. <laughs> but I didn't like to listen when I was uh, that age. Or if it was just a paint sign, a sign that said wet paint. There was just something in me that wanted to touch the paint. On all levels, I just didn't love authority really being told what to do. And I lived the opposite of that for a much of my um, Younger life, and I'm not saying that's actually a good thing, because actually it resulted in me, as I've told you before, getting kicked out of Bible school twice. Um, and it wasn't until really um, towards the end of my college experience where God really showed me what it looks like and why it's important, and the beauty of what it looks like to submit, honor, and respect God-given authority in your life. That there's a, there's a pruning in that. There's a Jesus... Um, attribute in that. There's a lot of amazing and good things that God has for us in submitting to God-given authority. And, and one of the things I've noticed, if I'll, I'll just be very honest with you a couple times this morning, one of the things I've noticed over the last few years with all the things that have happened around the world, you can name any of them. There's a lot of them that have been, you know, the last couple of world, years, excuse me, have been pretty crazy, tumultuous, like just all over the place, and what I've learned from just viewing inside and outside the church, so many people don't like authority. They don't like 
submitting under it, submitting to it, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in the church, whether it's in politics or some other place, so many people struggle submitting under God-given authority. And I will go just from the beginning that any authority that you have in your life is actually God-given. And if you believe in the sovereignty of God... You can read throughout Scripture and see that there is no king or power or political entity that gets to where they get outside of the hand of God. I'm not saying that he's, he's, he loves every bit of it, but God is ultimately sovereign. And when he's sovereign, there's people put in different places, and he's asking us, whether it's the church leadership, whether it's your parents, whether it's the political figure, or whatever it may be, I'll speak to some of this today, that authority in our lives is God-given. And he calls us and he asks us to respond in a specific way. And I'm just sharing that from the beginning to say, man, if you're here and you struggle with it, I'm with you. I've always struggled with it, and I don't know what it is within me, but I'm sure it's ultimately just brokenness. But when it comes to our passage today, when you look at the church of Ephesus, uh, we've been looking over the last number of weeks, we're reminded of something I want you to learn today and I want you to take home with you is that Christians under authority serve a higher authority. That Christians under authority, so that's all of you here today, you serve a higher authority than the authority you're in and it matters how you respond, interact, submit to the authority, the God-given authority that is over you, that God has placed over you. And so it's week nine of our series, Church why bother? Well, we've been tracking through 1 Timothy, and today we're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6, just the first two verses, verses 1 and 2, where Paul is addressing bond servants. So in, in Ephesus, he's instructing them how they are to respond to, to non-Christian and Christian masters, and, and he's saying all of it for the sake of the gospel, this is how you are to respond as bond servants to your master. Now, with that being said, before we ever open up the Word of God, I want to give um, a little bit of instruction. Before we go any further, we have to speak to the reality of slavery and bondservants in, in the time um, of Paul before just diving in and just saying, hey, you know, let's talk about this. I, I want to speak a little bit to this. So many, um, many other English translations actually translate the word that we have in our text in the ESV, bondservant, they translate it as slave. But the ESV translators are convinced, and I'm convinced, that there's a, enough difference between the ancient practice of slavery and the practice that is most familiar of what we would understand that happened in the United States. And the two are different enough that, that one is called a bondservant and one would be called a slave. So they're opting in our translation and many other translations for bondservant rather than slave because there's a difference. Now, I want to speak to that. Um, Nevertheless, no matter what kind of slavery it was, this is still talking about at, at its truest form, bondservants are owned property of another human. And so I want to speak to that. So, um, you know, in, in this ancient culture, um, a form of slavery was usually not based, it was not based on race as it was um, in the 19th century, nor was it um, based on kidnapping someone and forcing them into slavery, again, as it was as much of the slavery that we know, know about. So 
Generally speaking, and I'm speaking very generally, generally speaking, slaves or bond servants at their time had more opportunities to earn their freedom. Uh, generally, they had more opportunities for education. Generally, they had more opportunities to increase their social or economic status. And, and bond servants were actually regularly adorned with the same social status as their owner or their master. And actually, if you were to look at them, the master or the bondservant, you probably wouldn't be able to tell which was which. Much different. And actually, some people in their time actually preferred the idea of bondservant to a master because of what it afforded them or, or what they would be able to gain in security offered as they were a part of now this family as the bondservant. Some would prefer it. But again, it still was a bondservant was, was an individual, a human, that was owned by another human. And, and again, Paul never validates this or affirms it, the institution of slavery, he still does call bond servants and their culture in their time to obey earthly masters, not just in this text, as we'll see in many other texts, and he calls them to acknowledge and honor the authority structure in which they find themselves at that moment. So in respect, you go a little bit further, just a little bit more context of the passage, what we're looking at, and even Ephesus at the time, um, the church that he's writing to, really through, the, through Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, who's the pastor of Ephesus. It, it's really clear that there's a, 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 a lot of slaves or bondservants and masters that comprised the local church. So just think about that for a moment. So you come to church here on Sunday morning, and with you sitting next to you, there's a bondservant and there's a master. And there's, it, it's not small amounts of people. If you look at it and you do some research it, Research, it's been estimated that there was between 50 and 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire, and that as many as one-third of the population of large cities, such as Rome, Corinth, or Ephesus, were slaves. That's, that's a huge number. That is a, a, a massive number. So, so we have to understand that the culture of masters and bondservants affected virtually every aspect of the church of Ephesus. And this was a big deal, and because of this high ratio of bondservants and masters, it would have been a formula for tension within the church, as you can imagine. And I want to say just from the onset, we, by, we are in no way okay with slavery. It's a, it's a travesty of a human rights, and just it's sinful and broken. And the Apostle Paul is speaking to the specific scenario that they're in, within the church of Ephesus. And while we don't have that in our culture today, we don't have bond servants here today and masters here today, I, I do believe that there is much for us to learn and grow in as we look at the text as to our day-to-day -day lives, some practical implications of how we are called to live in light of it as we're not bond servants and we're not masters, but... Uh, when you look at it, we are all in this room subservient to someone. And we are in this room many, if not most, overseeing someone. So most of you in this room have some form of authority over other people. And all of you in this room, I know, are subservient to someone in your life. And I would love for us just to dive in and see what the Lord has for us today. Learning again, Christians under authority have a higher authority, or they serve a higher authority in 
God himself. And I want to ask you just a question. I'll come back to it at the end. In light of this, in light of what we're going to look at today, how then should we as followers of Jesus live in response to God-given authority over us? If you just, if you just think about that, practical implications of that today, you live in a world where there is God-given authority over you, and how do you, have you ever wrestled with or thought about what does it look like for you, and how should you respond, function, and live in response to the God-given authority over you? Ever wrestle with that? Do you know what Scripture says about that? Or how we should function or operate? Well, I want to get into that today in just two forms, how we respond to Christian authority and non-Christian authority as it's dealt with in the text. So the first thing we'll see is towards non-Christians, we show honor for the sake of the gospel. Look what it says, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. So that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. So it provides us some helpful information when we have non-Christian masters or authority that is over us. So he speaks of a yoke in the text. And this refers to this wooden frame. You probably already know what a yoke is. And it was put on the necks of animals or oxen to join them together to pull a cart or a plowing mechanism or whatever it may be. And often, even when people in battle in that time were taken as slaves in battle, a yoke would be placed on them. That's not exactly what he's talking about, but he's speaking of the idea of a yoke, that they were living under a yoke as a bondservant to a master. And he says, in light of that, regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. So I just want you today to put, your pla- put yourself in the place of what's happening. And remember, you're speaking to someone who is a bondservant to a master, and Paul writes them, in, in light of who you are, for the sake of the gospel, I want you to regard your master worthy of all honor. Why? He says, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Now, the phrase, the name of God, is found only here in two other passages in all the New Testament, and it stands for the nature and the character of God. And he says, man, in light of the nature and the character of God, so that the nature and the character of God will not be reviled because you call yourself a follower of Jesus, in light of being a follower of Jesus, so that the name and the character of God wouldn't be put down, or for the sake of the gospel, it wouldn't be looked down upon. Your response, your natural response to those in authority over you should be that of honor. Right? Well, sadly, um, This is not the first time that Paul addresses the church of Ephesus in this way. Um, Four years earlier, the apostle Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus when he writes in in Ephesians, he says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. Now listen to some of the phrases here and see, ask the spirit of God, is this the way that I respond to God-given authority? He says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. Now, just think about your workplace. Do you, do you respond to your boss with a sincere heart? Students in this room, do you speak to your parents or respond to your parents with a sincere heart? He says, as you would Christ. So just think about that. As you go into work tomorrow, are you living in light of the authority over you? Politically, those who are over you, are you responding to them as you would to Christ? 
not by the way of eye service or people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. So he, he, in this moment, takes the fact that, man, you may be living as a bond servant where you are, but ultimately you're a bond servant to Christ, and it should change the way you live. Doing the will of God from the heart, not just people pleasing or lip service, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not man. Man, when I, what, what an amazing way to look at tomorrow as you leave this place and you go to work tomorrow. You're working as to the Lord, not to your boss, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Again, none of us today are bondservants, but we do all have and serve under God-given authority in our lives. And for none of us, the greatest I've been speaking to this already. Some of the greatest places we experience this is within the workplace. It's the place with which we have our primary contact with people from the world, outside of Christianity. Um, There's so many opportunity here for gospel ministry to happen, whether it happens or not. I mean, this is an environment where people see who you really are. They're going to see how you function, how you operate, what you're made of, how you respond to pressures and and stress and tragedy in your life because you bring that with you. It's not like you shut down when you leave the office or you shut down when you come home, right? And according to the Apostle Paul, we can't separate this idea of work and worship. He writes to Titus just, you know, to... um, Two letters later, he says in verses 9 to 10, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. This is the idea. That in the way that we are called to live, for him, he's writing to bond servants, but followers of Jesus, the way in which we're called to live is that the people that are over us, that are seeing the way that we respond to them and live, would adorn God. Now, that's an overwhelming thing to think about. That in light of the way we live, they would adorn God, and we are to, in response, adorn God in all that we do and make the teaching of God, our Savior, even more attractive in the workplaces and the places where we have authority over us. It's kind of like this. I work out at a gym in um, Lake Orion. I know you might be like, I, I don't think you work out in gym, but that's fine. I do. Um, and it's a, uh, it's a place where there's classes throughout the day. And, um, and every class you come together, it's in a group, and there's always, you know, the workout, and then there's the warm-up before that, which I actually greatly appreciate because at my age, I'll pull something if I'm not warming up or stretching in some form. And it's amazing to watch as the instructor is instructing. There's like literally 20 minutes of warm-up, but there's people that come to the class that are just there. They just want to lift weights or do cardio, whatever it is. They don't actually want to do the warm-up. They're like, ah, and it's amazing to watch when you watch people because, man, when the, when the, when the instructor or the, the person leading the class is there and they're watching you, they're like, all right, do this stretch and do this. And they're watching you. You're like, okay, yeah, and you're doing that. But as soon as they turn around, you're just kind of like, oh, man, I don't really want to do that. Um, I think I'm good enough. And, and it's kind of the same idea. Away from the coach's eye, there's no energy. There's no enthusiasm. There's no heart. There's no honor. Really, there's no respect. And I wonder if there's not many of us, this is the way in which we live under God-given authority. Whether it's the workplace or some other environment, students, whether it's with your parents or school, we don't always 
honor the authority over us for many different reasons. When they're not looking, man, I'm not going to honor that person. Maybe you're here today and you struggle to respect your boss that you work with every single day because you don't believe that they've earned your respect. Maybe you're here today and you struggle to give honor to the God-given authority over you, whether you're boss or not, because you don't think they're a very honorable person. I know that's what Alex struggles with. Sorry, I just saw Alex over there. I mean, seriously, let's just be real. Sometimes it's hard to give respect and honor when you just don't feel like they deserve respect and honor, right? Or how do you interact when they're not around or they're not there? Do you live honorably in light of that? How do you speak about them when they're not present? Do you honor and respect them with your words and your attitude, or you jump in with other coworkers to speak negatively of them when they're not around? Can I just jump over for a moment and get outside of the workplace for a moment? Because I think a big one that's in this room with many people in the United States today is can we just jump into the political atmosphere for a moment? And I'm not going to speak to one side or another, but I know that every person in this room, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what president you like or you don't, what governor you like or you don't, what local political leader you like or you don't, the, the, the truth of the matter, I'll come back to this at the end of the sermon, that is God-given authority that God asks us to honor and respect. It doesn't mean we agree with them. I had a question last week in the lobby, like, well, how do I honor them and respect them, but at the same time disagree with them? Well, that's a that's an amazing thing. You can still honor and respect someone while still disagreeing with them. Having a sign in my front yard that says, this political figure is an idiot, you, you tell me, is that honor and respect or is that not? And a lot of Christians think that's actually really funny, but it's contrary to the word of God. It's contrary. I'll read the passage at the end that the Lord calls us to live in such a way that those over us in authority, whether believers or not, speaking specifically to this, non-believers, that the way that we would function under the God-given authority in our lives would speak to the gospel of Jesus. So I want you to remember that as you respond to whatever God-given authority is over you, the way in which you respond, whether it's honorable or respectable, is it pointing people to ultimately the gospel or not? Because the way in which we respond matters. It's just not just something. Paul's concern is that disrespectful behavior will cast a negative shadow on the gospel and be a stumbling block to those who would be receptive to the gospel. And I have the same concern. Sadly, we as followers of Jesus are called to live better than that. As he moves on, I don't think it gets much easier, but he, he, he responds to those who have believing or Christian masters. Look in verse 2 with me. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better it's a key phrase there. Since those who b benefit by their work or their good services are believers and beloved, teach and urge these things. So the second one is toward Christians serve better to bless spiritual families. Serve better because they're actually followers of Jesus. They're your brothers in Christ. 
right? So those in, in, in the Ephesian church might have been tempted, he says in this text, to be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. And why would that be? It would be because I think the declaration of the gospel is leveling the playing field for all people, right? He says, there is now no longer slave or free man or woman. All these, at the foot of the cross, we're all the same. And you can imagine that they're like, man, we are brothers now, so how can you be my master and how can I be uh, your bondservant? And the lack of acknowledgement of that fact, I believe, Paul is speaking to, has caused them to be disrespectful one to another, And he's saying the same danger is at play here, that the church's witness would be hindered because households are being disrupted and by disrespectful, non-honoring relationships together. But he says, rather, they must serve all the better. Now, what does he mean by that? All the better translate in one Greek word that qualifies an action as surpassing another in degree of intensity. So he's saying their services should actually be surpassing quality uh, because they serve a believing master. Why? Because, he says, you're followers of Jesus, and it's actually benefiting another follower of Jesus. And he's saying God's love for both bondservant and master made them brothers, and therefore they should treat one another with service and love no matter their working relationship, no matter their relationship. There should be a, a, a lifestyle of service with one another and honor with one another. Now, this idea of honor is is inundating this section of 1 Timothy for the Apostle Paul to Timothy. You've heard it over the last number of weeks as we're speaking about widows and honoring them and elders and overseers and and honoring them. And now masters, he's saying, Christians are called to live honorably one with another. And he brings it to this situation. And the heart of Every Christian calling, I'll tell you right now, here today, the heart of your Christian calling in some form or fashion is servitude. It just is. I'm just go through many different relationships we have within being a follower of Jesus and just life. Marriages, man, if you're here today and you're married, you're called to servitude one to another, right? It's about servitude of husbands and wives as they give up themselves and submit one to another, if your, if your marriage is struggling, I'll promise you, you're, you're struggling to serve one another. One wants their ways, and the other one wants their ways, and I'm not giving you yours, and you're not giving me mine. And, and it just comes to this idea where we're just struggling to serve one another. When you go to the idea of being a family, it's about servitude as parents give of themselves to see their kids grow up spiritually and maturely, and kids walking in an obedience to their parents. It's serving one another. I mean, I'll just, but so many people are struggling just to think of it, man, as serving my children is actually engaging them spiritually. It's not just putting a roof over their head and food in their mouth. It's about serving. It's tough and it's challenging. It's overwhelming. Being a part of this, the spiritual family, this, this body of Christ is about servitude. It's not about consumerism. It's not about coming in and being like, man, Jim better have a good word to me or I'm going to the church up the road. (laughs) You can make that choice. That's fine. But nine times out of ten, you're going to be disappointed. (laughs) Just be honest. It's not about that. It's not about like, man, the worship better be this. And the kids' ministry, man, they better have goldfish for my kids. 
And I better be able to take peanuts in there. I don't care about kids with peanut allergies. But that's, that's how the church functions. You know, it's about servitude, one with another. Loving and serving one another as a family. Functioning together. I mean, Jesus said it himself. John 13, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, and you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example. He didn't say, like, I'm doing this because I'm Jesus. He's saying, no, you should do this because I'm Jesus. That you also might do just as I have done to you. Another time, Mark 10, Jesus says, but whoever would be great among you must be servant, and whoever be first among you must be slave he says, of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I don't know if you read it there, but Jesus' point is abundantly clear. Being a servant is being a follower of Jesus. It's part of the job description. And whether you're under God-given Christian authority, you like or you don't like, agree with or don't agree with, Our calling as believers is honorable servitude. And in this way, we not only honor those above us, but we actually honor God. And that, at the end of the the day, is the thing with which we should be most concerned about, is honoring God. In the specific situation in Ephesus, Paul's addressing how bondservants are to respond to their Christian and non-Christian masters but we have something, like I said, from the beginning to learn. And it's, it's to remember that the life of a Christian is about serving. It's about servitude. It's about submission. And as followers of Jesus, man, we're not, we are not to live in such a way that we are disrespectful or dishonorable to Christian, God-given authority over us. And that can play out in a lot of different ways. Rather, he says, we're to serve them all the better because they are followers of Jesus and brothers in Christ. But can we just speak to the elephant in the room? Sometimes it's a lot easier to be under non-Christian authority than it is under Christian authority. That's just the truth. It comes in a lot of different ways, but sometimes it's harder. Some of, some of the bosses I've had that have Christians, and I'm not talking about in my church experience, just pre, because all of my bosses here are Christians, just to give you a heads up. <laughs> I think anyways. I mean. Is that sometimes it's really tough to serve a Christian authority figure when they don't act like a Christian. That's tough. It's hard. If I have a boss that is disrespectful, doesn't live for God, is, is whatever you want to put on, on, on the list it's a lot easier for me to be more forgiving, more respectful and honorable because, man, he's lost or she's lost. But when they're a follower of Jesus, when they fail, man, we, we hold them to a higher standard. When a non-believer fails, man, we, we don't hold them to any standard, really. When non-believers treat us poorly, we aren't disappointed. But the Apostle Paul says that doesn't matter. In both non-believing and believing, he says he's called us to live in honorable ways. Can I encourage you today, church, all of you here today, all of you watching online that serve under a Christian authority? Man, 
And just to be honest with you, all of you are if you attend this church. Honor and respect by serving all the better for the sake of the gospel. Why? Because Christians under authority, authority serve a higher authority, and his name's Jesus. But I want to go back to my original question and just land there. Because I don't know where you guys are at. How should we live in light of or in response to God-given authority in our lives? How, how should we respond? Well, just to answer that question, if you haven't already answered it in your own mind, God, or the Apostle Paul is saying whether it's Christian or non-Christian authority, we are called to show honor and respect because we serve that higher authority. And so I just land by asking you one more question. Just say, how are you doing? <laughs> just think about your life. How are you doing with that? Teenagers in the room, how are you doing serving the God-given authority in your life? Are you living in light of the authority that mom and dad had, that God's placed you in, the family you placed in? I'll just be very straight with you, teenagers. Maybe your dad or your mom sometimes don't always live honorable or respectable. Can I tell you, I, I don't always live honorable and respectable with my daughters. Do you live in light of the God-given authority God's given you, young people? When mom and dad aren't around, are you living in such a way that's honoring, respecting them and what they would want for your life and how they're leading you to follow Jesus? What you're doing on your cell phone when mom and dad aren't around, are you, are you, are you submitting to that authority and really ultimately the God-given authority that God has for you in your life? I mean, all of us in this room, can we just ask, like, in your workplace, for the sake of the gospel, do you show honor and respect towards the authority that you have do you speak well of them? Do you work as to the Lord? Man, those of you who are working from home, when you're supposed to be working, are you golfing? Like, there's a lot of people working from home now, getting paid for 40 hours, working 15. <laughs> Some people are enjoying that. But I, I, I'm not, and if you're a salary employee, I'm not getting into that. I'm just saying, are you giving your best for the authority that God has placed over you, man, just go back to politics. Are you, we're not supposed to talk about politics, and I'm not talking about a certain candidate or a different side. I'm just telling you from the word of God, do you show respect and honor, whether you disagree or not? That's totally fine. It's easy to show honor and respect with the candidates that you agree with. It's challenging for the other. And over the last couple of years, maybe one of the greatest disappointments I've had as a pastor is watching Christians respond. And I just want to read you a passage. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 13 says this, Be subject to the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, to every human institute. So you can just cross off everything there. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as set by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Honor the emperor. Can, can I just give you a heads up? The emperor at the time, Nero, wasn't a great guy. Worse than any candidate you, are, you don't like right now. And the apostle Paul says, honor not agree with, honor. And we need to learn it in the church today with the God-given authority they had at their time and the God-given authority we have today with us. The way we respond matters to God. What about the church? 
Have you responded to the spiritual authority God has placed over you in the church? Have you submitted yourself um, to that authority with respect and honor? Right? Well, I'll just say, I, I said this in the first week, and I won't belabor it. It's a lot of time, but one of the ways that we do this in the modern church today is through membership as churches we try to have people where we can commit ourselves one to another, where the church is committing to you as the member, and the member is committing to us as the spiritual leadership, that we would know that we are family together. I read this the first week. I think it's important because some of you may not have been here. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will give an account... Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you, right? So the question is, man, who are you submitting to? What spiritual authority are you submitting to? Are you submitting to this church this week and another church you go to next week and the next church you go to the week after that and the church you watch online? Like, who is your spiritual authority? And then on vice versa, who am I going to give an account to one day? Am I going to give an account to every person that walks in the door? Some people will vision occasionally that the best way that we know how to cover that and be in, in biblical response to that text is for us to have membership where we commit to each other as spiritual family. Good times, bad times, ugly times, best times. Man, have you placed yourself in spiritual authority in the church? Man, well, there's a ton of other examples of what we could talk about. Paul's point is clear. For the sake of the gospel, as followers of Jesus, let's respond to God-given authority because we serve a higher authority. Amen? Let's pray together. God, thanks for your text in 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul and his writings. God, we thank you for your grace in where we fall short and ask that you would help us in that place. Um, God, as I said from the beginning, you know my story well. God, I'm not the... I'm not the best at what we're talking about today. And you've had to teach me through humility. It matters to you how I respond. It matters to you what I do with the God-given authority you've given me. And so God, teach us in this place what it looks like to disagree but show honor. To disagree but show respect. Teach us in this place what it looks like to be spiritual family. When we disagree to show honor and respect. Teach us in this place, God, what it looks like for us to submit ourselves under authority, all the while lead in a biblical authority. God, all of it only comes because you have authority over all things. We are called to live in light of that, so Jesus, would you help us? Holy Spirit, move among us, and may this church be a, a lighthouse of the gospel in this area, because of the way, me included, we respond, God, to the authority in our lives. For your kingdom purposes, in Jesus' name, amen.